Hello, and welcome to the How Life Works podcast, the podcast that helps introductory biology students better understand some of the toughest topics in the course. These podcasts are written and delivered by the authors of Biology How Life Works and are sponsored by Macmillan Learning. Learn more at macmillanlearning.com. Hi, I'm James Morris, one of the authors of How Life Works, and I'd like to talk with you today about some things that may surprise you about genetics. We are all, in a way, familiar with genetics. We, we know that children resemble their parents. We notice that there are sometimes uncanny similarities among distant family members. And not a day goes by without some mention of genetics in the news. A gene is implicated in a disease, DNA testing is used to solve a crime, or another genome is sequenced. Yet, we might struggle with certain details. What is a genome, and why do we care about its sequence? What are genes, and how do they relate to traits we see all around us? Why do some traits get passed on, brown eyes, red hair, high blood pressure, but not always, and sometimes in seemingly random ways? How similar or different are we genetically? Now, all of your genetic material, your DNA, is contained in the nucleus of your cells. Cells are small, and the nucleus is even smaller, and yet it is within the nucleus that your genetic material is contained. It's kind of like the genie in Aladdin, who has phenomenal cosmic powers, but an itty-bitty living space. Similarly, your genetic material has enormous biological powers, but it is packaged in the tiny space of a nucleus of a cell. Today, we have a good understanding of genetics and powerful new tools to edit DNA like CRISPR. In this way, the genie is truly out of the bottle. This, I think, gives me three wishes. Here's my first wish. We recognize that we are all mutants. When we hear the word mutant, we usually think of something unusual or even perhaps freakish. Sometimes mutants have special powers like teenage ninja mutant turtles or Marvel mutants, but they are still decidedly different from their perhaps more normal counterparts. However, in reality, we are all mutants. This is because we are all different from each other genetically. In other words, we all have different genomes. Uh, let's quickly review. You inherit your genetic material from your biological parents. As a result, you have two copies of your genetic material in most of your cells. Each of these copies is a genome. So almost all of your cells have two genomes, as we discuss in the genomes chapter of How Life Works. There are a few exception, like, exceptions, like eggs and sperm, that have one copy, not two. This is because eggs and sperm are produced by a form of cell division called meiosis that reduces the number of copies from two to one. Then, when an egg and sperm combine to form an embryo, the resulting cell has two copies again. It's this form of cell division that explains why you are genetically different from your siblings, even with the same biological parents. In the process of meiosis, the two copies of each chromosome recombine, and they recombine in a different way every time it occurs. As a result, all of the eggs or sperm from an individual are unique. They are unique not just from one another, but also from all of the eggs and sperm in the world. Profoundly, they are different from all of the eggs and sperm that have ever existed in the entire history of life on this planet. Then, when a sperm fuses with an egg, they create a unique embryo, also unique in the history of life. You are truly one of a kind, a genetic instance. The embryo is a single cell that divides over and over and over again to make the trillions of cells in your body. 
This type of cell division, called mitosis, produces exact copies of your genetic material, except for rare mistakes or mutations. The genomes in each of your cells are therefore more or less the same. This is why you can spit into a vial to obtain a sample of your DNA. Your spit contains cheek cells, and each cell has two genomes, just like the ones in all of the other cells in your body. DNA is composed of subunits called bases, repeated over and over and over again. It's the order of the bases that carries genetic information. So when we sequence a genome, what we are doing is determining the order of the bases along a DNA molecule. For example, in 2003, the human genome was sequenced, and today thousands of genomes from many different species, species have been sequenced. So when we say the human genome, we have to be a bit careful um, because, in fact, there is no such thing as the human genome. Humans, like all species, harbor lots of genetic differences. These differences are ultimately result of mutations that have occurred sometime in the past. These genetic differences account in part for the observable differences we see all around us, such as differences in hair color, hair texture, eye color, skin tone, height, and weight. So there are as many different human genomes as there are different people on the planet. In a way, then, we are all mutants. Wish number two. We won't say there is a gene for common traits. You've probably heard something like, there is a gene for cancer, or he is so tall because he has a tall gene, or scientists are looking for a gene for athleticism, or something along these lines. In fact, we don't really have a gene for any particular trait. The relationship between genes and traits is typically more complex than that. Most, if not all, of the traits we are familiar with are what we call complex traits, as we discuss in the chapter on the genetics and environmental basis of complex traits in How Life Works. Consider hair color, eye color, skin color, height, or weight. None of these results from variations, variation in a single gene. Instead, they are influenced by a large number of genes. Human height, for example, results from variation in thousands of genes. In other words, variation in many, many genes results in variation in height. But that's not all. The environment also influences complex traits. Human, ad human adult height, for example, is influenced by nutrition as a fetus and infant. Similarly, weight is affected in part by variation in many genes, as well as by diet and exercise. As a result, it doesn't really make sense to talk about a gene for height because height is the result of variation in many genes interacting with the environment. The same is true for weight and other common traits we see all around us. So where does this idea that we have genes for particular traits come from in the first place? It, it seems to come from the emphasis we tend to place on Gregor Mendel and his pioneering studies on genetics that he did in the 1800s. Mendel worked with pea plants, focusing on traits like whether the pea is yellow or green or round or wrinkled. By following one trait at a time and carefully counting the offspring of each cross, he was able to see patterns that up to that point were unclear. He determined that there are factors responsible for the traits he studies. It's these factors that today we call genes. He also realized that peas contain two copies of each gene, just like us. Different forms of these genes result in different traits, like yellow or green seeds. Mendel's studies help us understand what genes are and how they behave. However, the traits that Mendel studied are much simpler than the ones we see all around us. Mendel studied traits that are influenced by a single gene. One form of this gene results in yellow seeds and another in green seeds. 
These are called single gene traits, and they are relatively rare compared to complex traits, which are much more common. So we shouldn't say things like there is a gene for height, or for that matter, high blood pressure, intelligence, or sexual orientation, because in fact, there isn't. So we have Gregor Mendel to thank for giving us an understanding of how genes are inherited from one generation to the next. At the same time, the emphasis that we place on his studies sometimes has the unintended effect of reinforcing common misconceptions about genetics. And my final wish, wish number three. We understand that we are more similar than we are different. If you look around, one of the first things you might notice are human differences, not similarities. You might notice that hair color or texture varies quite a bit among people, or eye color, nose shape, skin color, height, or weight. We are particularly good at noticing differences among one another. In fact, we have sometimes grouped these differences into discrete categories called races. These races place people into just a handful of separate non-overlapping groups based on outward appearances. And then we sometimes connect these superficial differences with much deeper ones, such as intellectual or athletic ability. The racial categorization of humans, however, has no basis in biology. Instead, it is a social construct, used sometimes as a statement of identity, belonging, and pride, and sometimes to categorize, separate, and control other people. From a genetic perspective, we are simply not that different from each other you are about 99.9% genetically identical to all other people, or just 0.1% different. This is a very, very small difference. Our species is only about 200,000 years old, as we discuss in the Human Origins and Evolution chapter of How Life Works. In this short period, there simply has not been very much time for mutations to occur and then spread through the human population. This is not enough time for us to become very genetically different from one person to the next. We are a young species with relatively little genetic variation among different individuals. Many species, even ones whose members look quite similar to one another, like fruit flies, harbor much more genetic diversity than we do. What this means is that external differences do not correlate well with underlying genetic differences. In addition, there is actually no single gene like a particular skin color or nose shape that is universally present in one so-called race but completely absent in another. In other words, it is impossible to come up with a trait that every member of one race has and that no one in another race has. Finally, and perhaps most profoundly, if we look at the amount of genetic variation within any race and compare it to the amount of genetic variation between any two races, we find something unexpected there is much more genetic variation within a race than between two races. Or put another way, there is more genetic variation within a group like Africans or Europeans than there is between Africans and Europeans. This doesn't mean that race is not real. Race as a social and historical concept is certainly real and has had some very real effects. Racial disparities in health and economics, for example, are tangible effects of living in a racialized society. It just means that it isn't based in biology. This also doesn't mean that there aren't any genetic differences among human groups. Some differences, like skin color, seem to be adaptive. Ultraviolet radiation is necessary for vitamin D synthesis but can also cause damage, so skin color varies depending on the intensity of sunlight. Other traits, like eye and nose shape, may be sexually selected, as proposed by Charles Darwin. There are also particular diseases like, like Tay-Sachs disease that are only found in some populations. 
However, these traits result from a very small amount of genetic difference, and they don't map on traditional racial categories. The obvious physical differences are literally just skin deep, and the same is true in, in other organisms. For example, um, peaches have fuzzy skin and nectarines have smooth skin. This dramatic external change is a result of a single change or mutation in just one gene. Peaches and nectarines are essentially the same fruit with different skins. The various qualities that make us human, our thought, intelligence, athleticism, musical ability, language, and so on, are universal human traits. Or, in the words of the poet Maya Angelou, we are more alike, my friends, than we are unalike. Thank you for listening to the How Life Works podcast. I hope this talk helped better your understanding of the material you're covering in the course. Good luck, and don't ever stop being curious about how life works. <laughs>